But the hour is coming and is now here, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. The word of the Lord. Good morning. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so very much for this, this amazing day, this day where across the world, your believers are together in corporate worship, uh, celebrating the one true risen Christ, the Son of the living God. Uh, we, we, we pray for, for not only for our fellowship, for all of those believers, that you will accept our worship as as as, as Instance, as you say, in your nostrils, God, that the heavens will celebrate what's happening here in the world, in this world, until the day of your coming when we all can worship you and bow down before you. Uh, we, we will continue to celebrate you. We love you and we pray in Jesus' name. We ask also that you be with us in spirit and in truth. And the church said, amen. Well, thank you so much for sharing this, this moment, this corporate worship with each other. You might even want, want to look at each other and say, thank you. Thank you for being here, that kind of thing. That's, that's church stuff, right? You do the greetings, right? So we might have a greeting break. We won't do that today, but maybe afterwards you'll, you'll celebrate with each other. And it's, it's celebration. It really is. Uh, the message today, it, it has a long title, right? It's, it's, what it means to worship God. And, and I've been doing the church thing for a long time, and I know I always forget the title of messages. So forget that, what I just said. It's, that's not the title. The title of this message is, is simply about worship. You'll remember that. You know why? Because when somebody asks you, well, what did he preach about today? You'll just go, about worship, okay? So today's message is about worship. Is that easy enough? Worship is, is so much more than the first 15 minutes of, of the church service. Oh, somebody said amen. That's a good thing. I may be off, I might be off to a good start here. It includes that. Uh, today's worship was very, very special. Did you feel that? You know, sometimes when you strip away some of the instruments, you hear the voices more, more clearly, uh, and, and, and the voices just filled in so wonderfully, right? Uh, and, and we can hear each other. We can only imagine what it would be like to hear, like, in the book of Revelation, all of the, the heavenly hosts worshiping God. I mean, can you imagine what that must sound like? And believe it or not, you're supposed to be a part of that chorus. So on that glorious day, you are going to be with all people who've ever worshiped God, who've ever worshiped Christ, and all of the heavenly hosts. And I don't even understand who all of those hosts are, but in chorus, singing before God, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. If you have a bad voice, it doesn't matter to God. If you are off key or pitchy, as Simon uh, Cowell would say, it doesn't matter to God. I'm hoping that in my new body that I'm supposed to get when I'm, when I'm there with God, that it comes with new vocal cords, Amen. Lisha, you sounded fabulous, by the way. You don't need new vocal cords. 
The true worshiper, the time is coming, Jesus says, when the true worshiper will worship God in spirit and in truth. And I want to go back to that scripture as a way of getting us started. Thank you for reading that scripture, Joanne. Uh, the hour is coming, and we know that the time is coming was what he said 2,000 years ago. The time is now here. It is now here when the true worshiper will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Remember who this woman is? This is the Samaritan woman that Jesus met at the well. And we remember a few weeks ago, uh, we preached a little bit about her life and that, that Jesus had gone out of his way. He'd gone a different route to his final destination through Samaria in part to find this woman. So he took this route from Jerusalem to Galilee through Samaria. Most Jews would not have gone that way. They would have taken the longer, more indirect route east of the Jordan River because they hated the Samaritans. The Samaritans were descendants of Israelites, but they had intermarried. So they were in proximity to Israelites in terms of uh, living nearby, but they were not accepted as the same. So they had proximity, but they weren't in contact. Jesus went straight through to a place where other Jews would not have gone, not because he wanted proximity, but because he wanted contact. So he made contact with this woman in a very controversial way. And through his contact, she became a worshiper. And more than that, the scripture says, she basically became the evangelist to the Samaritans. She took that contact to other people in Samaria, in Samaria, and they knew that she must have been in contact with the risen Lord. And that's the story of how the gospel is preached, isn't it? We go from proximity to contact. And when we have been in contact with the Lord, everybody knows it because we worship. Our worship of him is what we're talking about today. So today is about worship. In this case, Jesus initiated the contact. The contact was like playing pool. You ever play pool or billiards, right? The energy from one ball is transferred to the energy to the other balls, right? And it's dispersed. So that is how this, this proximity thing to, uh, to contact really works. I, uh, Vanessa and I just bought a relatively new car, or other known as a used car. <laughs> and uh, it has a proximity alert. I don't know if you drive a car like this. Some of you have Teslas, right? Um, but, but we're just a few thousand steps behind you. So whenever I'm parking and I'm getting close to another car, you have this in your car, it beeps. Now, if you have not had a car like that before, it's a little bit jarring, right? Because it's a good thing because it says you are in proximity and the closer you get, you are in greater proximity and that's translated into louder and more alerting beeps, right? So I'm 
parking is already tense for me. So a louder, more jarring beep, oh, doubled with a, a backup camera. Ooh, I'm, I'm moving into the 2000s now, right? So my senses are overloaded. But it works because it keeps me from coming into contact. I don't want to come into contact. It is the opposite with Jesus. Jesus wants you to come in contact. So the proximity alert goes off. You're close. You're close. You're closer. Come on in. Keep coming. Keep coming. And when you make contact, what sound do you hear? The sound of worship. So if you are worshiping in spirit and truth, it means you've gone from proximity to contact. So the time is coming and has come when the believer will go from proximity to contact, spirit and truth. The other evidence of that contact with Jesus is the indwelling of the spirit. So wait a minute, I'm close. I've, I've been raised in a Christian home. That's proximity. That's awesome. We're supposed to raise up our children in the knowledge and the fear of the Lord, right? Proximity, they're close. But at some glorious point, they go from proximity to contact. That is where the message of the gospel becomes a message not through mom and dad to them, but a message directly from Jesus to them. They now come in contact. And they start to worship. And I know that there are a lot of parents here, and you can say amen today. Aren't you looking forward to the day when your children worship God? That's what we live for, right? That's what we live for. We love it that they come to church with us, but the the goal really is for them to become worshipers. Okay? So anyway, Jesus goes through Samaria. He finds this woman, and she becomes a believer, a worshiper. He does some other things, though. He has this pattern of going after worshipers. And so let me define worship before I go any further. So this idea of worship, if we were to look at the the English word worship, it means basically to ascribe worth or value to. It's giving worth. The W-O-R part of it kind of tells you that, right? So anything that you ascribe value can be worshipped. There's more to it when it comes to worshiping God. It is not only ascribing value, ultimate value to him, but it's devaluing yourself. So it's humbling yourself in the sight of the Lord. Does that make sense now? Right? Where we humble, we bow down. By the way, the word bow down, when you see bow down in the scriptures, it's usually bow down and somebody's been reading. Amen. The prostrate position is the physical manifestation of a heart that recognizes the greatness of God. You with me here or did I lose you? So it's always bow down and worship. Sometimes you'll just see bow down, but the word that is translated into bow down is the same word for worship. So here's an interesting place where the translators of at least the NIV and a few other translations, instead of translating the word into worship, They translated it into bow down. But what this person actually did was worship. I want to look at a very strange passage. Actually, this is like when I read this passage of scripture, 
It's like reading a biblical horror movie. Okay, let me, let me, you wanna go there. I know there are some horror movie lovers here. So I'm going to share a passage with scripture, scripture with you. Okay, it'll be up on the screen. So imagine that you're in the theater and you're watching the screen and this is living out. When Jesus had stepped out onto the land, this is in Luke 8. When Jesus had stepped out onto the land, they met him. There he met a man from the city who had demons. And the church goes, ooh. For a long time he had worn no clothes. He has had he had lived, he's not lived in a house, but among the tombs. When he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell down before him and said in a loud voice, What have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I beg you, do not torment me. For he had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man. For many times it had seized him. He was kept under guard and bound with chains and shackles, but he would break the bonds and be driven by the demons into the desert. Jesus then asked him, what is your name? And he said, Legion, for many demons had entered him, and they begged him not to command them to depart into the abyss. Now a large herd of pigs were feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him to let them enter these, so he gave them permission. Biblical horror movie. They were on the other side of the, the lake, and Jesus says, come, let's go to this other side of the lake. So they get in the boat, and they go to this other side of this, of, of this, of this lake, and there it is known that there are actually two demon-possessed men. So if you read other gospel accounts of this, there were two demon-possessed men. But more than that, but wait, there's more. More than that, there are two demon-possessed men who were naked, but wait, there's more. They were living among the tombs. Yeah, let's go with Jesus. <laughs> let's go with Jesus. Now, let me tell you how really scary this is for a Jew. Tombs. You don't want to be among the dead bodies. You would be ceremonially unclean. Men being among naked men. You'd be ceremonially un unclean. Oh, by the way, there were demons. Not a place where I, as a good Jew, would want to follow anybody. But Jesus goes there anyway. Now, we don't know what happened to the other man. We just know what happens to this man. Now, in the, in the order of things, Jesus had already cast out the demons. And then the men fell down before Jesus. That fell down, if you look at other translations, it is the word that was translated from, well, in this case, it would be Aramaic, that meant worship. He didn't just fall down. He worshiped. Again, I don't know what happened to the other man, but I know what happened to the worshiper. The worshiper went from proximity to contact. And Jesus went across a lake into the tombs, into the area with the tombs, among men who, by the way, used to assault people. That's what would happen. People would get assaulted by them because they were filled with these demons. 
The, the point here, and there are three points, I'll get to them. The point here actually is the first one. That seeking the worshiper is Jesus' business. Seeking the worshiper is Jesus' business. If you're in the nonprofit sector, let me give you a, a different point. Seeking the worshiper is Jesus' mission. It's his business. It's his mission. What do I mean by that? Well, the first recorded words of Jesus in the New Testament were when he was about 12 years old. Remember? They were looking for him. Right? Family was traveling to Jerusalem. They were looking. Can't, we can't find Jesus. Imagine, again, I talk to you parents who want your children to become worshipers. Imagine if you, you're traveling to this great day of worship, this great festival, and you look over and you cannot find your child. Child's not with other family members. I don't know where that child is. You would be filled with worry. You'd be filled with anxiety. And so you, 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 you go ahead on to church, as it were, and there, well, your child is actually up here preaching the word. So, you, child, what are you doing up there? That's a place for the pastor. And the child says to you, Ma, Dad, didn't you know I was supposed to be about my father's business? From early on, Jesus knew what business he was in. His father's business, the business of seeking the worshiper. Where did I get that word seeking from? If you go back to John 4, there's something that I've missed until very recently. It says, but the hour is coming and, and is now here when the true worshiper will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking. The Father is seeking that worshiper. Where did Jesus learn his business? From his Father. It was his Father's business. Here's how it, the conversation probably went between the, the, the Son and the Father in heaven. Okay, we got to get about business. Jesus knew that because he was prepared, preparing for it. You know what it meant? Okay, Jesus, time for you to be born. Time for you to go into the world. we got to get about our business. And when Jesus was born, there were people who knew his business, what business he was about. In fact, the Magi, who were not from among the Jews, remember? The three wise men, that type of thing, Right? What did they do when they saw the infant child? They worshipped him. They worshipped him. God's business is seeking the worshiper. That's what he's all about. Well, here's what worship looks like. So if, if, if God is seeking the worshiper, what is it that he's seeking? Worship looks like a lot, looks a lot like the first 15 minutes of service. It does. It, it, it is practicing gra gratitude. Thank you, God, right? Those are words that we see often in worship songs. Thanking God. We are so grateful, right? Singing praises. Yeah. Throughout the Bible, that's what, what ha happens when the worshiper worships. So it looks like that first 15 minutes. Thanking him in prayer. We do that in the first 15 minutes too, right? It looks like that. Sharing your story. That may not happen in the first 15 minutes, but usually a pastor will come up and preach, 
And at some point, they will share a little bit of their story, right, as a part of illustration. Or we share our stories with each other too, right? Uh, and then submitting yourself to him. This is what worship looks like. And it may look exactly like that in the corporate sense. But my challenge to you today is that God isn't just seeking the Sunday worship. God is seeking the worshiper. And the worshiper worships God in spirit and truth all the time. All the time. All the time. If your worship is limited to Sunday, you're giving God one-seventh of your week. God is not waiting for Sunday to seek the worshiper or to hear the worshiper. Now, I know there are worshipers in the room. I know that there are people here who have gone from proximity to contact with Jesus. And how do I know that there are real worshipers here? Because the Bible says in Romans 8, you don't have to turn there, that it's actually the Spirit of God living within us that causes us to worship. Spirit and truth. It is the Spirit of God that lives in us that causes us to worship. The Spirit of God compelled us to worship. Have you ever found yourself singing a song of praise? It's stuck in your head, and you don't even realize you're singing it? Okay, that's just me. Or you hear a song that you've heard a hundred times, even if it's a song that you don't like so much. Like some of you, I know, you've probably heard Good, Good Father one too many thousand times. Until one afternoon you're doing the dishes, and guess what gets stuck in your head? Blame it on the Spirit of God. Maybe the Spirit of God wants to remind you just in that moment how good the Father is. The Spirit causes us to worship. The time has come where the believer will have the Spirit in him or her, and it will cause you to worship. Worship in all of these ways, singing song, praising God, telling your story. But telling your story is a hard thing for me. I am a stone-cold introvert. Stone-cold. Stone-cold introvert. Don't like talking to people. Spirit of God. So if I've ever talked to you, it's not me. It's the Spirit of God. And I'm not trying to make fun of introverts because statistically, there are some other introverts in the room. And some of them get up here and sing and play instruments. And we go, what am I doing? Spirit of God. Sharing your story. I share a lot of my story in my sermons. I look back over the years and I go, Brian, you talk too much about yourself. Spirit of God. And, it's, and he's compelling me now to share my story as an illustration. So bear with me. So for about the last 20 years, it's become clear to me that I will probably, for the rest of my life, struggle with depression. Probably for the rest of my life. In so many different ways. I have seasonal depression. So winters are so hard for me. Winters are a bit. And as I get older, it gets harder and harder. Okay. Um, but there are times where it's not the winter, like it's, it's beautiful now, but there are times where I, and it's taken a lot, I, I'm a proponent of therapy, so I've had therapists, I've been medicated, I haven't used medication in a long time because God has really moved me personally from the medication, 
but I'm open to it. It's a, med it's, it's a mental illness, so I'm telling you that I struggle with mental illness. And in my mental illness, I'm a melancholy person as is. I process everything internally. And I don't know if any of you can relate to this. And if I do the math, if you give me enough time to do the math and consider all the variables, then I act. But if I don't have all the variables, I can get very frustrated. Or if all the variables, if all the thoughts that I'm having can tend to lead to a, a negative outcome, a logical negative outcome, I can get stuck in that place. And it triggers this cycle of depression. Do I want, I just told you, I don't like talking to people. Do I really want to tell you this? It's not in my nature, but it's in the spirit. It's in the spirit and in the truth. Here's why. Get this. Don't miss anything today, but don't miss this. Here is why. I have come in contact with Jesus, right? And in that contact, I am supposed to transfer that energy to everyone who comes in contact with me. And I believe that there's something I just said that you heard that lifted a burden off of you. Or maybe you're not a melancholy person, but you're the parent of a melancholy child. And you've been frustrated. Why is my child so negative? Why is my child struggling with depression or other mental illness? I've done all that I can. I'm a good parent. And maybe this just says, oh, there's hope. And here's why there's hope for you or your child or your spouse in all of this. Because if Jesus would go all the way to Samaria or go to the tombs to find the naked, demon-possessed man who would worship him, he certainly would go the distance for you. Seeking the worshiper is his business. Amen? The other thing is, the other point is, Jesus will go anywhere to find a worshiper. So, in this scenario, we, we, we have to add one other thing that would scare the average Jew at that time. And that's pigs. Yeah, I go to the tombs, the naked man, the, the assaulters, the two guys that nobody wants to be with. By the way, these guys would break chains, you know. So you imagine the, the Incredible Hulk type personality, right? Yeah, we can stay away from those guys. Oh, and those guys are in proximity to a herd of pigs. No good Jew would go anywhere near the tombs or the naked men or <laughs> the demon-possessed men, and especially the herd of pigs. In this very same scripture, and I don't have to preach it much more, it illustrates that Jesus would go anywhere to find the worshiper. But let me pass this on to you. Will you go anywhere to find the worshiper? Or is there a place you would not go, even if Jesus sent you to find the worshiper? Now, I don't know you, but I know human nature. And I know there, for everyone, there is always that place. There's always that place. And I'm not just talking about going and handing out tracts. By the way, I don't like handing out tracts. I've tried that. Ew. But there are, other, there are other places at work. Ooh, I wrestle with that. And you know, it's not so much wrestling 
with telling people that I'm a Christian? At, at one time I did. I hope this is not about me. I hope you're really, can you relate to any of this? <laughs> you know what it is? It's when somebody, I can't find a better word. I should have noted this, but it, this is the best I can do right now. It's when somebody really ticks me off. Do I really have to worship? Or can I just cuss you out? Because I'm a believer and I'm forgiven. <laughs> this could be my forgiveness card right here. Instead of that scripture that keeps coming in my head, do good to everyone. You know what I mean? That type of thing. I don't want that in my head right now. Spirit and truth. Because Jesus wants us to go anywhere to find a worshiper. And then finally, my third point in this very passage of scripture, a worshiper will go anywhere to be with Jesus. A worshiper will go anywhere to be with Jesus. And I want to read the particular part of the scripture for you again. So when Jesus stepped onto the man, into, onto the land, they met him, a man, there met him, a man from the city who had demons for a long time. He had worn no clothes and he had not lived in a house, but among the tombs. When they, he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell down before him and said with a loud voice. And this was the, po the point of, of the, the expression of worship. He saw Jesus. He saw Jesus, and he ran to meet Jesus. He ran to meet Jesus. Now you think about it. The man who has been ostracized, the person with severe mental illness, the person who is from a, a marginalized group, the person who feels tired and worn and unaccepted comes before the great I am, and they can easily run away because they feel, they feel self-persecuted. Have you ever felt self-persecuted? God, don't come near me. I'm a wretched sinner, right? I, I, the last person I want to see right now is Jesus. You ever had that thought? Because I don't want to see him. I don't want him to see me naked. Have you ever had that thought? I am ugly right now. I did not. I did not do as Jesus would do in that moment. So the last person I want to meet right now is Jesus. But that's not what happens with the true worshiper. The worshiper will go anywhere to move from proximity to contact. Okay, now statistically, scientist in me, statistically, there are some of us here today that are in contact, and then there's some people who are still in proximity. So I want to make a case that might help you to make a decision to move from proximity or closer to contact. So this is going to be a very short case. Here's what you need to know. That Jesus walks in proximity to you, whether you know it or not. Whether you know it or not, or when, whether you've forgotten it or not, Jesus walks in proximity to your children that you've been praying for, whether they know it or not. Jesus is among you, around you, about you, whether you know it or not. He's not waiting for you to want him, for him to want you. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, 
so that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. Started out with God so loved the world. God so loves you. He is in proximity already. And if you are here today, for whatever reason, because you're in proximity to him and hearing this message, guess what? He may be closer to you now than he's ever been before. Because you are hearing spirit and truth. So, is that good enough for him? No. He wants you to come into contact. And you might have been taught that the move from proximity to contact requires something great on your behalf. I'm telling you right now, it does not. He's done the great thing already. So if you look in the scriptures and you say, I want to see how the disciples worshipped Jesus. Here's what you're going to find. Only one mention of them worshipping him before they saw the resurrected Christ. And the only mention of, him, of them worshipping him, if you remember, was when he walked on water. When they saw this incredible miracle, it says that, that, that they worshipped him. But when they saw the risen Christ, when they saw the risen Christ, they, every account, they worshipped, they worshipped, they worshipped. One of them doubted just long enough that Jesus would say, hey, touch me. Hey, Thomas, let's move from proximity to contact. And they worshipped. It might be hard for you to, 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 to worship the Christ that has been taught to you, although he's in proximity, but it's not hard for you to worship the, the risen Christ who's coming in contact with you. And the way he comes in contact with you is through the spirit and truth. If you've heard the spirit today, if you've heard the truth today, this may be your contact point. Statistic, statistically, there are some of us who are in contact today, some of us are in proximity, and I could not complete this message without preaching the full gospel to you and saying that Jesus Christ died, was buried, was raised to life so that you will know that he's the only one that can bring you in contact with God. And if you're in contact today, I want to ask you to make a commitment because that's a part of what we do as worshipers. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up. And as they come up, I'm going to just share a commitment with you. We're going to do that in prayer. That's an act of worship. So let's pray together. Let's pray for those and with those who are moving from proximity to contact in worship today. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much for the real, the living, the, the glorious, the risen Christ Jesus. We thank you in worship. We want to worship you with everything that we have. For those of us who have believed the message today for the first time, whose hearts are so are exploding right now, who have seen something or heard something that they have never heard, and they know for sure that you are the Christ, the Son of their living God, and they want to move from proximity to contact in worship. We pray, God, that you will just release their hearts. Release their hearts. Accept their commitment to follow you. Accept their commitment to following you anywhere, Accept their commitment 
to doing anything that you would call them to do, except their commitment to making your business their business, making your mission their mission. Accept them into your family of worship, Father God. Lighten their hearts, God. Take away their load. Help them to feel the new yoke of Christ upon them. Help them not to keep it silent, but to share what, it, what happened today. And help us to share in their moment, today, their baptism, their ministry. They're going out and they're coming in. We ask you to lift them up. Most of all, we lift you up in praise. We worship you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I have one more prayer. I have one more prayer for those who have already been in contact. Would you pray one more time? Let's do that. Father God, we come before you again. Those of us who have been called into this, this, this Jesus business, this Jesus movement, and we ask that you strengthen us because the, the, the load that we're carrying is at times burdensome and that you've chosen weak people like us to illustrate how great and glorious you are. God, give us a refresher, fresh wind, fresh spirit, fresh truth. As we lift you up and make you greater, even if it means that we become lesser. Father, we love you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.